What a joy to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm happy. I'm full of joy this morning. I bow before the King. He is the reason why we are here this morning. God, that we are not here for jamboree. We are here because of the King. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. If you are here because someone is here, that's why you are here. I think you have made a mistake. The reason why we are here is so that we can worship the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. That's the reason why we are here this morning. If in case you have forgotten, I am here to remind you. That we are here in this place to worship in truth and in spirit. Let's bring our hearts together that we may worship the Lord. Father, we are so grateful. We bow before you this morning, Lord. You are worthy of our praise. You are the reason why we are gathered in this place. Oh Lord, reveal yourself to us. Let your glory fill this place. Let your spirit fill this place. Let us feel that touch. That touch that comes from you. Our hearts are ready. The eyes of our hearts are open. That we might behold those wondrous things that you have for us this morning in your word. Jesus, be exalted in our midst this morning. That men will be drawn to you. That we will be able to usher ourselves into the place of appropriate worship. Be exalted in our midst this morning. That hardened hearts will be softened. Be exalted in our midst this morning. That there is going to be salvation in the life of someone. Be exalted in our midst this morning, oh God. That the chains will be broken. Be exalted in our midst, Heavenly Father. That the blind eyes will see. Be exalted in our midst. Oh Lord. That we will find strength this morning. That we will experience your blessing this morning. Be exalted. And this is the reason why we are gathered here. That you will be exalted. That we will decrease. Knowing fully that you are the one that deserves all the praise. You are the one that deserves all the worship. You are the one that deserves all the adoration. Thank you blessed Father. Use me Lord as an instrument. That I will start to express you clearly to your people. That you have chosen Lord to hear from your word. Now pray Heavenly Father that every word of my mouth, oh God, will honor you. That every word of my mouth will be a blessing in the life of someone today. Now pray Heavenly Father that you fill me to the brim with your spirit. That I will be able to understand. That I will be able to, 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 to explain that which you have given to me today. Thank you, blessed Father. Glory and honor and adoration be ascribed unto you. In Jesus' marvelous name, I have prayed. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be here. 
and to bring to you the word of the Lord. I appreciate Pastor Nate for uh, the privilege that he has given me to uh, preach the word. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Jimmy and Jones, and uh, congratulations, by the way. Yeah, um, we rejoice with you. Um, now, let's take our Bibles, and if you wouldn't mind, let's be in a standing position as we read from Philippians. Pastor Jones read from that text today in the Adult Bibles uh, Sunday School, and um, that's actually the text we are going to be reading, and the preaching is going to come from that text. Philippians chapter 3, I will read from verses 1 to 10, but my emphasis is going to be on verse 10. So the three points that we are going to be walking with this morning will be on verse 10. And by the grace of God, I'm going to be preaching from a topic that I call the surpassing value of knowing Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. Philippians chapter 3, from verse 1, it says, I will read from the New uh, American Standard Bible. So it's going to be different from what probably you have. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil walkers. Beware of the false circumcision for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Verse 7 says, But whatever things we gain, to me those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ and may, may be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, it says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. May the Lord bless his words, his right words to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. You can take your seat as I... The surpassing value of knowing Christ. Now so many people claim they know God. 
But when you ask them about God, they cannot explain who God is. When you ask them to describe some of the attributes that God has decided to share with us, they cannot even say anything about it. So many people are so zealous for God. They will tell you that whatever they are doing, the fightings, uh, uh, you know, the killings, uh, and you know, the, 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 the words that they use is all to defend God. So they, their zeal makes them to fight for God. In fact, Paul says in verse 6, he says, as to zeal, I am a persecutor of the church. So which shows that he had zeal in him. Even as a Jew. And the zeal that he had in him was to persecute the church. That was the zeal. Proverbs tells us that zeal without knowledge is destructive. It's bad. And, you know, when you talk about Islam, all of the killings that are going on by Islamic, you know, jihadists or terrorists or, you know, Islamist uh, extremists, you know, they will tell you that they are fighting for God. They are fighting for God. So when you ask them about God, they will use their limited knowledge to describe who God is, to explain who God is. Why do you think some people cannot say anything? Why do you think some people cannot explain? Why do you think that some people cannot describe this God that we are serving? It could be that. They have not had any encounter with, with him. It could be that they have not had any encounter with the Lord. And that is why they cannot be able to describe or to tell about him. They have not encountered him. They have not encountered the visible image of the invisible God. The one that has appeared in the bodily form. And that is Jesus Christ. They have not encountered him. And that is why they cannot explain who God is. Now, the African traditional religion, you know, ATR will talk about God and they will tell you that God is transcendent. And what that means is that God is far above in the heavens and that God is holy. They believe in that. That because God is transcendent and God is holy, you cannot reach to God. And they also believe that God is powerful because he displays his power even in his creation. But there is something about God that they have missed. And that is why they feel that since they cannot reach out to God, they can use deities, other gods, to reach out to God. They use other gods to reach out to God. No one can reach out to God except through Jesus Christ. And some even lack understanding of God completely, totally, and say, well, God does not exist, right? Now, we have the atheists and then so many other people that can come up with some kind of ideologies and philosophies and, you know, and declare that, well, there is no God. And I love what David will say in Psalm 14 verse 1 where he declares, he says, 
Fools say in their heart, there is no God. It's only a fool because God has revealed himself. And we have some, at least some limited knowledge to know about who God is. Now, Philippians is actually a book that Paul wrote from the prison. And he actually gave this book, this uh, epistle to Epaphroditus. Uh, um, Sorry, I don't mention that very well. Now, Epaphroditus was a servant of the Lord who visited, you know, Paul in prison in Rome. And, uh, you know, he took some gifts to Paul in prison while Paul was in prison. And then Paul wrote this letter. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he wasn't writing this letter to address issues in the church. There was no any problem. Now, Paul wrote this letter to just say thank you for all that you have done for me. Thank you. That's just the reason why Paul wrote this letter. And then later Paul wrote, you know, to encourage, you know, the recipients and to tell them that the present, about his own present situation. He wrote that to tell them about his own present situation. Now in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, you can find that there. And then he also wrote to tell them about the future visit of Timothy. That he was going to send Timothy uh, to them. Now but in chapter 3 where we have read. Now Paul gives his personal testimony. And I love that. He, he was sincere to himself. Now, in giving his personal testimony, he, he actually gave that testimony of what, what we can call his credentials or what we can call his attainment, you know, in life, even before he met Jesus Christ. And, you know, he began by mentioning, you know, that he is circumcised on the eighth day. And that what that means is that he is a true son of Abraham who was instructed by God to circumcise Israel on the eighth day. And what that means is actually a symbol of a covenant between God and Israel. And so Paul mentioned that so that we will understand that this is who he was. He has a relationship with Abraham. And then he went further to say, I am from the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel are, you know, special people. You know, they are unique, chosen by God. They are a, the people of God. And so, Paul saying that is to explain what it means to be part of Israel. I am a special race. That's what that means. Of course, we know it, in life, generally, there are races. That feel that they are better than other race, right? The Israelites will think that way and they will feel that way. They think that the Gentiles are not nothing, but that the Israelites are special race because they have Yahweh. And so Paul is actually mentioning this. And then he went further to say that, you know, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what that means is that the tribe of Benjamin is actually a very small tribe, you know, in Israel. Why? Because, I mean, Benjamin was the last son of Jacob. And so I guess maybe he was not producing children like the other ones who actually produce a lot of children. You know, but 
Benjamin was a small tribe, but they were a special tribe. Highly influential. And so Paul mentioning that is to link to that tribe that is special and influential. You know, one thing about Benjamin is that they, they, they actually fulfilled the prophecy that was made in, in the Old Testament. Now, the, the tribe of Benjamin, you know, fulfilled that prophecy in Genesis chapter 49, verse 27. And it is said that they, when, when they shoot a thing like a hair, they can get it. Now, I guess that's an exaggeration, right? But to tell you that they are actually a very special people who are, you know, are, are, are favored by God. And, you know, when, when the enemies are fighting them, it is said that they use their left hands to fight the enemy. That's an exaggeration, right? But to tell you that the, 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 I mean, the, the tribe of Benjamin is actually a tribe that fulfills that law. And Paul now attaching himself to that tribe, indicating that this is who I am. I am highly favored by God to be a part of this tribe from the chosen race. And then he went further to say, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what that means is that I have no anything that is in me. The blood in me is pure. It's pure Hebrew. Now, I am 100% Israel. I'm not a proselyte. I'm not a Samaritan. This is who I am. And I boast in that. And he went further to say, well, I am a Pharisee, of course. When you talk about the Pharisees, we, you know, the Pharisees are those religious leaders who have the final say about things. They were those religious leaders that even crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a Pharisee who was tutored under, under Rabbi Gamaliel. And then he was a knowledgeable person. Now all of these are advantages that Paul had over every other people that he was mingling with or he was working with at that time. And so he was a persecutor of the church of Christ. And you know one thing that he said? He said that I am blameless according to the righteousness that comes through the law. Now what that means is I have been obedient to the law. I have been observing the law. I have been a religious person. I am a blameless person. I can boast in that. There must be a reason why Paul was saying some of these things. Now I believe that, you know, the reason why Paul was saying some of these things is because there's this, this kind of battle. Even while he was a Christian, he, he had, had to actually refer back to the past and tell the people that I am all of these things. Now, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, there is this constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. And there is that temptation for one to begin to boast on those things that I have acquired. That there is that temptation for, for me to begin to raise shoulders on my attainments. There is that temptation to begin to boast because of my credentials. And that's what he said in this place. Which is nothing. Because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. All of these things, according to Paul, they are nothing because of the surpassing value 
of knowing Jesus Christ and then knowing him progressively. There are three things that I would want us to look at from that verse 10. And those three things are connected to the conjunction and. And that's what we would look at. The number one is the knowledge of Christ. Now, that this desire that Paul had about knowing Jesus Christ. When Paul said, I want to know you. Now, what does that mean? You know, Paul actually said that while he's a Christian. Now, if somebody hears that, somebody would think that, well, maybe he's not a Christian, that's why he's mentioning that. No, but Paul is actually referring to something different. Now, I want to know you. There are, there's a word that is used in that place that tells us that the knowledge that Paul wants to acquire in this place is actually a knowledge that has to do with experience. Not just hearing about someone, but experiencing someone. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1, it captures that sense clearly when it says that, you know, there is that intimacy between Adam and Eve. That's the sense of the word that Paul is using in this place. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And so the knowledge is not just an intellectual knowledge like I began. Some people would say, I know God because I read about God. Some people would say, I know God because someone told me about God. But I cannot explain God. Because I have not had that experience. And so Paul is talking about an experiential knowledge of God, not an intellectual knowledge of God. And that's what Paul is trying to explain in this place. And he has actually answered the question that Jesus, I mean, uh, answered the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 verse 3. And you know, Jesus said, we would only get eternal life when we are able to know, right? When we know God. When we know Jesus Christ. Who has been sent into the world to die for the sin of the world. And so, Knowing is very important. Knowing is very important. One thing that I want to add is that, you know, the difference between the, 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 the knowledge that Paul is talking about and the, any other knowledge is that you can have the knowledge about a thing, but you don't have a relationship with that thing. And so Paul in this place is saying that I have the knowledge about who God is and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that is very important. There can be little doubt that many Christians will say it is okay because I have eternal life. Many Christians will think, well, I have eternal life because I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I have that eternal life as a gift to me. But they don't have the desire to know him. But you see, the thing is that they desire to know more about the world. And what is going on in the world. And that's the temptation we are faced with. That, that the constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. That Paul is talking about. Is what we are struggling with. Every day of our lives. Desiring to know more about the world. Sitting under the TV to hear the news. Browsing to know what's going on in the world. But we don't want to desire more of Christ. And Paul. Gives us a perfect example by saying that I want to know you. 
that's my challenge to everyone. To desire to know more about Christ. People are concerned to know the world and all the mundane things in the world. There are, there are strifes in the world. There are dissensions in the world because of the things of the world. There are rivalries. There are killings because of the mundane things of the world that are fading away like the stars of the morning losing their light in a glorious sun. I mean, all of these things are fading away. But we don't know. And so the ultimate thing that we need to desire to know more is Christ. It's Christ. And the knowledge in the text, I've explained about that. But one of the examples of the experiential knowledge of God is, you know, in Paul's life, in, in, in Acts chapter 9, when, when Paul says that, uh, uh, you know, when Paul encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, and then when he met with the Lord Jesus Christ, something dramatic happened. Now we are meant to understand that the light that came upon him made him blind and knocked him down. And then we are meant to understand that Paul was blind for three days. He could not eat, he could not drink for three days. But one, 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 one part, portion of the text that captures my attention is this portion that says that Paul was, you know, praying. Now, now which shows that something dramatic happened in the life of Paul and that it brought him to the place of worshipping God through prayer. Now, one thing I discovered about knowing Christ experientially is that when we encounter Christ experientially, then we can worship. But when that encounter is not there, the proper worship will not be there. The only thing that can give us the idea, I mean, that can help us to worship God properly is that experiential knowledge. And Paul was praying. That's what the text tells us. And God showed him a vision that a disciple by name Ananias was going to come and that disciple was going to lay hands on him. And then he will recover his sight. He will recover his sight. Now, now what makes us to understand that the word, I mean, the word knowledge is the usage of the, the word ginos. Right? I don't want to dive into that, but let, let me say that. I, I love what the psalmist will say. You know, psalmist in Psalm 42 will say that as the day pants for the stream of water, he says, so my my soul, my soul pants for you. My, 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 my soul long for the God. And so that's what we need. To desire God. To long for Him. In a progressive sense. To long for God in a progressive sense. Now the expression of Christ gives satisfaction and joy. And I love the song today. That talks about joy in sorrow. That knowledge gives us satisfaction and joy. Paul understands the answer to Jesus' question in Luke chapter 9 verse 25. That says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What does it profit a man? Now he knows that there is no value. There is no value when we put confidence in the flesh. There is no value at all. The rich young ruler that met Jesus Christ and asked Jesus how he can be saved. Now listen to Mark chapter 10 verses 17 to 22 and, and hear the conversation there. It says, and as he was 
setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, God, good teacher, what must, I, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In verse 19, it says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, he said to him, I love you. But you lack one thing. One thing. You lack. You might be seated here. And that might be the situation. One thing. One thing. He said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Now I am not saying that we should go sell all that we have. But listen to this. There could be one thing that is standing as a barrier for you to experience Jesus Christ. One thing. Now, to the rich young ruler, his possession stood as a barrier to knowing Jesus. Now, hear what he says in verse 22. He says, he was disheartened by the saying, of course, the saying of Jesus. And he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful. Now one thing that I understand from this place is that when you are out of you know, the presence of Christ, when, when you don't desire to know Christ, then you experience sorrow. Because that, that was what happened to him. Now, and that is why the experiential knowledge of, of Christ gives us joy and gives us satisfaction. The rich young ruler missed it. The things you have in the flesh cannot give you satisfaction. Those things that you have in the flesh, Paul mentioned that. You know, all of those attendments, he listed them. In the flesh, they cannot give you satisfaction. They cannot give you joy. And then, there will always be the thing that you lack in your life. There will always be that thing. And so the best one can do in life is to desire to know more about Christ. And that when we encounter Jesus Christ, then we will find joy. Then we will find satisfaction. But when, when, we, when we pursue the things of this world, we will develop headache. We will develop hypertension. Now what that means is high blood pressure, right? Because of the struggles of life. All that we need is Jesus. Psalm says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. The right, your right hand upholds me. That's what the psalmist says. To desire to know Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, true joy and satisfaction can only be found in knowing Christ.
happiness is fleeting because it is the it is based on circumstances. Circumstances are constantly changing. And circumstances don't give you peace. Peace, contentment, and satisfaction are possible when those same circumstances are viewed in the perspective of God. When we desire God more, everything is put in order in the sense of joy and satisfaction, even in the midst of circumstances. The source of true joy is personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the source. That is the ultimate thing. Now, progressively, Paul desired to know Jesus Christ. But the source of true joy is relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to know. We need to get it right. If, if In case you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it means that you don't even have the source of joy. You don't even have the source of satisfaction. And so you need to get back to that point and be rooted in your relationship with Jesus Christ so that you begin to experience that. Why is it that some people experience joy in the midst of hardship? Why is it that some people experience joy in the midst of pain? Because they are linked to the source of joy. Now I see the reason why Paul and Silas will sing hymns and, and songs in prison while they were locked. They were supposed to be grumbling and complaining and, 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 and insulting and fighting you know, with the guards and saying, this is unfair. You know, this, is, this is injustice. Why would you do that to me? You know, but they busted into praise and, and worship to God. And because of that, the prison was shaken. Their chains were falling down. The doors were open. There was joy in them. There was satisfaction even in the prison. And the Lord showed up in that situation. The experiential knowledge of Christ rubbishes the things that are not of eternal value. Now, get me right. I'm not saying that those things are not important. They are important. But we don't have confidence in them. And that's the word Paul used. He said, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have not put my confidence in the flesh. But he went further to say those things I count them as lost and they are rubbish. Now why did he say that? Because he experienced Christ. That's what makes the difference. So when somebody is boasting on what he has and his attainments on his credentials or in his achievements now I guess it's because he did not understand who Jesus Christ is and that is the reason. Now if Jesus is experienced in our life then he will be exalted why we would decrease? I think John the Baptist got it right. When people think that he was the right prophet, when people think that he was the Messiah, and when people think that he got all the right credentials, but when Jesus showed up, John the Baptist said, increase while I decrease. That's what happens when Jesus 
shows up into our lives. When we encounter him, he increases while we decrease. So whatever we have, we count them as lost. We see them as rubbish. Because of the sake of Christ. For the surpassing value of just knowing Jesus Christ. Paul count all his attainments as lost and rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. This could be the reason why Paul would say, For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. And he went further to say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't live by faith in the things of the flesh. I don't live by faith in the attainments that I achieve. I don't live by faith in my credentials. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life. For me, his encounter with Jesus changed his perspective about life. Now I discovered that if you truly know Christ, you would definitely make him known. And that, that, that was seen in the life of, of Paul. When you know Christ experientially, you cannot seek but to make him known. When you know Christ experientially, you cannot sit but to do missions and evangelism. You have to talk to your family members about Jesus, those who don't know him. You have to talk to your neighbors about Jesus, those who don't know him. Why? Because you have encountered the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. That's what makes the difference. Now, the other point is the knowledge of the power of the resurrection. And I love this place. Why would Paul say this and i want to know the power of his resurrection now i think that paul is saying i want to experience now something unique there is a reason for the resurrection now when, when we looked at that text now we would think that paul is actually referring to uh to romans chapter 6 you know verse 4 where he says that we have been buried with christ in baptism and we have been raised with him in newness of life now, but I think that, you know, Paul is saying in this place that, you know, I want to experience the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead progressively. Now, listen to what uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, chapter 8 verse 11 tells us. In Romans chapter 8 verse 11, it says that the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, it says, if that spirit is in you, that spirit will quicken your mortal bodies and give you life. And I think that Paul is saying that I need life. In I, I, I want to experience that power of the spirit progressively in my life. I have been buried with him in baptism already. I have been raised with him in newness of life already. But I want to experience the power of that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That is what I want to experience in my journey. And that's what Paul says. In this place. The Lord provided ways that we can. You know experience this wonderful. Wonderful. Life together. Now I, I met with someone. In the seminary. You know while I was reading. I was studying Greek. Uh, in a class and then. Uh, he works actually in the seminary. And then he came to me. And you know what he said to me? He said, 
Do you have a relationship with Jesus? He is from a, he's a Jew. Um, I said yes. And the next question is that, can you tell me how Jesus is dealing with you? And I think that that is actually a vital question that everyone should be asking himself. How is Jesus dealing with me? And I, I responded to him. I told him. But I had to stand for a while to think first. And they responded. And when I told him, he said something after that. He said to me that everyone needs to be filled with the Spirit of God. Continuously. Now when we are filled with the Spirit of God. Now listen to what he said. He said that there is this heavenly fragrance that comes from the inside. That radiates outside. That attracts people. Draw attention of people. Because we are filled with the Spirit of God in us. And he gave me an example. He said that I walk in the bathroom of the swimming pool. And so whenever I am walking there and people come to take shower and they are going out, they put perfumes on their body. And there was this kind of sweet smelling aroma or fragrance that attracts people's attention. Anytime he hear, he, I mean, he smells that. He turns to look. Who has put that? And so he said, that is what we need. And I discovered that the best way we can have this kind of experience is when we show up in, 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 during, during worship service. The best thing that we can spoil one another, you know, to, to begin to desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit is when, when we come for community groups. Now the best way we can do that is when we, when, when we appear during Sunday school. The best way we can do that when we come together to have Bible studies together. The best way we can, we can, we can, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit is when, when we come together and have discipleship together. The best way we can do that is when we have prayer meetings together. And when we have personal and corporate devotion together. And that helps us. Now, I love what, you know, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, he said that, do not be filled with wine that leads to debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, one thing I understand from that is that when you are filled with wine, it leads to sin. Now, when you are filled with the Spirit, it leads to life in Christ. Righteousness. It leads to holiness in Christ. A lot of us commit sin because we are not being filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18 tells us that just where I sit now. My personal encounter with the Lord is the best thing that has ever happened to me. It rocks my world. My personal encounter with Christ. If you know me before, you will be amazed. That God can use someone like me to passionately serve Him. 
He rocks my world and, 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 and make my life to be transformed. He gives me passion for him. And he gives me a vision that is clear for him. How is the Lord rocking your world today? That should be the biggest question we should be asking ourselves. How is he rocking your world today? Have you been transformed in your life? Do you have a passion for him? And has he given you a vision? Now the vision of the Lord cannot be confidence in the flesh. The vision that the Lord will give you is to reach out to people to make them understand and experience the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. That's the vision of the Lord. And to experience the power of the resurrection and the suffering, the fellowship of suffering. That's the vision. That's the vision. Now, Paul, the knowledge of fellowship, of suffering. Paul is saying, I want to suffer for the sake of Christ, not myself. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and account them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Now, the word he used, suffer, there is clear. It, it, that indicates suffering. And the idea is that whatever it takes me or whatever I have to go through, I will willingly go through that I'm again Christ. I don't know about you. Whatever it will take me in life and whatever I need to go through in life that will make me to gain Christ, I will subject myself to going through it that I am again Christ. And that's the ultimate thing that Paul is saying here. I want to know him. I want to subject myself to the fellowship of that suffering. That I might gain him. That I might gain him. Now, an example is given about, you know, the sickness of Epaphroditus. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 30, I mean chapter 2, verse 30. Now, we are meant to understand that because this servant of the Lord was serving Christ. We are, we, he almost died as a result of that. He almost lost his life. Just because of the sake of Christ. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in their service to Paul. And Jesus himself says that whoever finds his life he says, we'll lose it. And he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, if I will have to suffer with Christ to bring glory to his name, I will subject myself to go through it. And suffering today is a big issue that many Christians don't want to experience. And that gives rise to prosperity preaching. Many prosperity preachers Understand that many people don't want to suffer and so they use that to take advantage of those people and give them and, and say promises. Declare promises to them that when you do this, God is going to do this to you. And so because I don't want to suffer, and so I give in to those teachings so that I will not experience suffering. In Nigeria, suffering can be attached to so many things like, you know, evil. And then when you are suffering, people will say, well, someone has bewitched you. 
When you are suffering, somebody say, someone will say, hey, someone is against you. And he has done something. And that is why you are suffering. And suffering also is attached to sin. When you are suffering, people will say, well, it is because of your sin. And that is why you are suffering. It is because of your sin. That is why you are sick. It is because of your sin. That is why that thing happened to you. And people will say that in my context. But suffering makes us experience Christ. After months of suffering, Job finally said these things. I want you to listen to what Job said. We, have, we all know about the story of Job and how he suffered. He lost his children. He lost his possession. He, he lost everything that God has given to him. But he declares that I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now, in the midst of adversity, I have seen you with my eyes. Now, one thing that I understand is that when Job was in prosperity, he has heard of the Lord. But in adversity, he experienced the Lord. And so when suffering comes, it might be a reason to experience the Lord. And so even in the midst of suffering, we need to open up our hearts. Jesus will show up in the midst of that. He experienced the Lord in that. Luke tells us that Stephen in the midst of intense persecution was full of the Holy Spirit. Gazed into heaven and then saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In Acts chapter 5 verse 55. There is a special revelation when you find yourself in that situation. And so that there is joy in suffering. Because you are not alone in it. Jesus will be with you in that situation. When we desire to know him experientially. It is possible that you have heard about Christ. But the question is have you experienced him? Suffering makes us blessed. Peter puts it this way. He says if you are reproached for the name of Christ. You are blessed. Because the spirit of the glory uh, of God rests upon you. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 14. He says, in other words. Uh, God reserves a special coming and resting of his spirit and his glory on his children who suffer for his name's sake. Now, we, we, we don't, I mean, there are times we do certain things to make ourselves suffer. That's not what we're talking about here. Here, this is suffering with Christ. So don't go, don't go and commit sin and then begin to suffer the consequences of that sin. That is a suffering that you have caused for yourself and then you have to bear the consequences of that. But, you know, suffering for Christ, you experience joy in it. Because Christ is with you in that situation. And that's what Paul uses in that place to say, the fellowship of that suffering. You are fellowshipping with Christ in the midst of adversity. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 to 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. He says rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets. Who were before you. It's a real blessing. To go through suffering. And at the end I will say that. Have you experienced Christ in your life? Do you desire to know him experientially? Do you desire to know Christ experientially? 
what is driving you? What is your desire? What is that thing that drives you? I know we are busy. So many things are driving us. We want to achieve this. We want to achieve that. Now, who is Christ to you? Now, if Paul would desire to know Christ, what more of us? Now, if you leave this place today, will you truly say that you have experienced Christ in your life? Remember the story of the rich young ruler. He had the opportunity to experience Christ. But he missed that because of those obstacles. Now, if you are seated here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to say to you that you need to experience him. There is joy in doing life with Jesus. There is joy in doing life with Jesus. I cannot stand on my own. I need Jesus. You cannot stand on your own. And that's the truth that we are telling you. You cannot stand on your own. What is that barrier? What is that thing that you are so addicted to that you can't let go? That Jesus wants to you know, you know, show himself to you but you can't let go. What is that thing? If you want to experience Jesus, you have to let go of those things. There is a value in knowing Jesus Christ. We will experience joy and satisfaction in this life. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful. Thank you so much for your word. And what Paul tells us. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. May we as a church be driven by this. That our lives will be changed completely. That we will be transformed. And have a passion for you. That we will have a vision. That drives us. So that we will gain you Lord. We want to gain you. Help us. Somebody might be seated here, Lord, struggling. Struggling to let go of that thing that has tied him down. Might be struggling with heart issue. And he's so attached to it. That he cannot give room for you. Lord, I pray that you will break those things. Even this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ. I ask oh God in heaven that you transform. Our lives and give us a fresh desire for you. That as we leave this place. It's not all about what drives us in the world. It's not all about our attainments. It's not all about our credentials. It's all about you Jesus. Our savior. Who came into the world. And died for us. To give us new life. And to make us live in that newness of life. And to enjoy joy and satisfaction. Now pray that Lord you bring some to yourself. In Jesus mighty name I pray. Amen.